Well done. So I was asked this morning to share a little bit about uh, your anniversary and, and perhaps to share a little bit about your future as a church to mark this auspicious occasion. And as I look through the names, uh, your history, I'm, I'm struck by the names. Many of them I know, and I'm not going to mention their names because, there, boy, there's so many great names there to mention, and I'm sure I'm going to admit somebody. But uh, there's so many good people. I personally celebrated my 61st birthday last week, and uh, it just kind of came to me to adopt a slogan for the year. Uh, I don't normally do that, but it just kind of came to me. And uh, I decided that my slogan is going to be, for this year anyway, changing the world one good friend at a time. One good friend at a time. And when I look at the list of names in your history, I see lots of good friends. Good, good people. And every time we come to an anniversary of any sort, it's appropriate that we acknowledge the people in the past, the miracles that the Lord did the investment that the people made, and uh, to learn from our forefathers. Obviously, they built something that lasted, and so they must have been doing something right, and so we can learn a little bit from their example. So we want to look into the past, but we also want to look to the future, and in particular, we want to dedicate ourselves to live up to the example that our forefathers left for us And so their example instructs us, and it also inspires us. So as you approach that latter task, which is looking forward, you're probably asking yourselves questions about the future of the church. Uh, You know, where are we going from here? What does the Lord want us to become? And what kinds of things should we be emphasizing or things that we should be doing And, of course, I commend you for asking those questions because uh, uh, too often churches become paralyzed by their routine or they simply accept their current state as inevitable and they don't take control of their future. They don't take control of their culture. And churches can become paralyzed by their tradition and by their own culture. And they, they may pray for a miracle, uh, but they don't do anything intentionally to mature as a congregation or to develop a, a strategy for becoming the church that God wants them to be and making an impact in their community. And so today... I I don't come with a word from the Lord about your future. I have a strong sense about your future, but I'm going to let you discover that for yourselves. But I I do come with some thoughts that you might consider as you pray and strategize about becoming a better church. Jesus uh, tells the parable about the wise man who built his house on the rock and a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And uh, following those words of Jesus... Uh, Peter and Paul both took that illustration of a building and they expanded on those illustrations. And so we actually have several passages I could choose from uh, to speak these words, but I'm going to just pick 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, 
which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, the judgment day, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Peter mentions similar things, and Paul mentions similar, similar things in other passages, and all of those passages contain some central instructions about the church. The Corinthian passage contains a special, a unique instruction, which is the warning that Paul says, take heed how one builds. Uh, of course, the church in Corinth was a mess. Uh, folks were acting like they were spiritual, but they weren't. They dropped names. They were expressive in worship. They, they gave money, uh, but it was just a facade because the church was immoral and carnal and divided. And Paul had to remind those folks that, uh, in particular, about the division. He's, he reminds them each one has a role. Each one has a role. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives an increase. You know, some folks may prefer the planting and other folks may prefer the watering, but all of those roles are important. And we should not be elevating a particular role as if it was the paradigm for ministry. All of them are important. So let's go into what Paul tells us about buildings. The first thing that we notice about all three of these passages is that Jesus is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. Now, that's a truth that may seem self-evident, but we need to look at it a little bit closer. Uh, going back to the parable of Jesus, when he says the wise man builds his house on the rock, and he says there that building on Jesus is building on his word, and that, of course, suggests doctrine. However, it would be simplistic to say that we have satisfied this simply because we have adopted sound doctrine in our bylaws, or that we have been using sound doctrine in our curriculum and our discipleship program. The fact is that many church members may agree with sound doctrine, but they don't live sound doctrine. It's important that we not just recite the creed, but that we live the creed. And building on Jesus requires that we integrate his word into our lives every day of our lives. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and in ancient times, you had to build a foundation stone by stone. Nowadays, we pour a foundation with concrete, but in those days, you had to build it stone by stone, and the most important stone was the first stone that was laid, and that was called the chief cornerstone. They would lay that stone, and then all of the other stones had to align with that stone, and if any stone was out of alignment, maybe it was tipping a little this way or pointing a little that way or a little crooked, then the entire building would be weakened because the stones weren't aligned with Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. That's one cornerstone. Most buildings have four corners, and there are three other cornerstones. Let me just suggest to you something that has helped me in my discipleship with Jesus is naming those other stones in my life. The first stone would be doctrine, the things that I believe. It's very important that my doctrine aligns with Jesus. 
there are a lot of times when we may acknowledge Jesus' doctrine, but we don't necessarily believe it or live it ourselves. So it's important that my doctrine align with Jesus. The, second, the, the next stone would be the stone of decisions, right decisions. You know, it's important that our decisions align with Jesus. We may acknowledge Jesus, but then decide something else, and of course, our entire structure is going to be weak. The next stone, the last stone, would be the stone of emotions. You know, the Bible talks about emotions a lot, doesn't it? It talks about love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and, you know, good emotions. also talks about jealousy, and envy, and bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and negative emotions. And the reality is that our emotions need to align with Jesus, And the Bible is telling us that we need to get our emotions aligned with Jesus. In fact, all three of these things need to align with Jesus. If we're going to be true, integrated disciples of Jesus Christ, our beliefs, our actions, and our emotions have to align with Jesus. A lot of times people, they might have right beliefs, but they've got wrong actions. Or they might have right right actions, but have wrong emotions. And they end up being conflicted because something is amiss. If we are going to build our lives on Jesus, then we're going to have to get all of these areas in alignment with Jesus so that our beliefs, our actions, and our emotions are all aligned with Jesus. That's what building upon Jesus is all about. And my hope for you as you begin to think about what the Lord has for you as a church in the next 60 years is that you would make it a goal to raise the level of discipleship in your church to where everybody in the church is integrating the word of Jesus into their lives every day. Raise the level of discipleship. Don't be content with just second-rate discipleship. Let's raise the level of discipleship. The other truth that we see in these passages is that we are living stones and that we are being built together. And there's a a sense of the stones interlocking and being interdependent and whatnot. And and I, in my mind, I I envision a a workman, you know, taking his little chisel and, you know, you might have a stone that's got a little bump on the other side and, and the other, he's chiseling, you know, to make that thing fit. You know, we're all getting chiseled together. We're getting chiseled together. And, and here's a reality that we Americans often forget. You know, we, Americans are so independent and, and we're ten, even to the point of isolation. And we read in the Bible about being disciples of Jesus. And we, we interpret that individually as if I can be a disciple without you being a disciple. We're in this together. We're interlocking stones, and we're in this together. It's interesting to me how many times in the Bible God applauds a generation, not just a person, but a whole generation, or condemns a whole generation. And we forget that discipleship is expressed as a community. We all need to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we look into the high points of Scripture, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the Sermon on the Mount, Galatians 5, when we look into the high points of Scripture, there is, a, there is a very bright truth that shines out at us, and it's simply this. God measures holiness by how we treat one another. Maybe in a previous decade, we measured holiness by our haircuts or by the length of our skirt, but... 
But that isn't Bible. God measures holiness by how we treat one another. And if God has made a difference in your life, you have to express that in how you treat other people. We need to be loving and forgiving and kind and patient. And wouldn't it be a wonderful day if the unbeliever would walk into this congregation and would begin to watch the interactions between the people and the conversations and say, there's something different about this place. These people got a different kind of truth. I've never seen anything like that before. Wouldn't that be marvelous? We are supposed to be living stones that are working together. We need to establish a a new culture in our church, uh, a new culture of holiness, not the old kind of holiness, but the Bible kind of holiness that is expressed in how we treat one another. You know, a lot of churches are trying their hardest to be the best, have the best preacher or the best singer or the best program, but let me tell you something. The, the church that wins is not the one who does it the best. The church that wins is the one that has the, the right kind of culture in it, a place where people are really expressing the love and hope of Jesus Christ. And I, I hope that as you look at your future, you want to make it one of your objectives to change the culture of your church so that it would be more godly and how we treat one another. The third truth that we see here in these passages, as, as Peter and Paul both talk about us being built together as a temple and a place for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, the idea of a temple is simply to be a place where God dwells, but also to be a place where people can go and experience the dwelling of the Holy Spirit In fact, there's a whole section of the Psalms that are called Psalms of Ascent that were supposed to be said as one went up to the temple to experience the presence of God. And so Peter and Paul, they're really telling us that that our purpose here is to be a place where, not just where, where the Holy Spirit dwells, but a place where the world can find God, a place where people can come to experience God. Wouldn't that be marvelous if we could come and experience God every time? I know that sometimes we come to church and, you know, maybe you don't feel so good that day and you're kind of feeling a little flat and you show up and and then, you know, your Musica family is singing up here and and then you start to, you know, you start to get with it a little bit, you know. You know, the the, the plain truth is that that, uh, the presence of God is not here necessarily in this building any more than it is down the block when you're not here. But when you come, you bring the Holy Spirit with you. This is like a Holy Spirit potluck. You know, if you got the church potluck, there's no food there unless you bring it. And, and there's no spirit here unless you bring it. You got to bring the Holy Spirit with you, and then you share it with everyone else. And, and not just uh, for the benefit of the church members, but for the benefit of the world, because the world is looking for a genuine encounter with Jesus. They're looking for something that's authentic and real. And they can go to a place that's got stained glass windows and whatnot, but that doesn't necessarily generate the presence of God. What generates the presence of God is that when then godly people bring the presence of God with them and they begin to express it among themselves, there the presence of God is. And friends, that is the hope of the world. In fact, it's the hope of Milpitas. The world is not going to be changed by politics and economics and technology. 
The world needs spiritual transformation. And spiritual transformation doesn't happen by sitting in the redwoods or at the beach. It happens in community. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Spiritual transformation happens here. It happens in relationship. It happens in community. And if we're going to, re- if we're going to bring spiritual transformation to our community, then it has to start with spiritual transformation right here. As we begin to work on one another, pound on one another, chip away at one another, file each other, sharpen one another, so that we would become true, genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. And then when the world comes, they would see there's something different about this place. So Paul says, take heed how you build. I I lived in Vegas for a time and uh, if you've ever been to Vegas, there's a lot of things Vegas is known for. One of them is the uh, buildings they have in Vegas. You know, they, it's, the only, it's the only place in the world where you can find the Eiffel Tower, the London Bridge, the Great Pyramid, Caesar's Palace, and, you know, it's the only place in the world. Got, but it's got all, that's all there, but of course they're fake, you know, they're fake buildings. They're not real, and, and they're not going to last 500 years like those other buildings. They'll be tearing those down in 50 years. So that reminds me of what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 22. He was accusing the prophets, and he said they plastered with untempered mortar. You know, they they built a building, but they didn't use proper building uh, tools, materials. And consequently, the building that they had uh, was destined to collapse. And Paul has similar warnings here when he says, take heed how one builds. Uh, It's easy to build with uh, wood, hay, and stubble because there's lots of it around and it's easy to work with, but uh, it's not really strong and it won't stand the test of time. It's a little harder to build with things that last. And as we think about our church as a building together, you know, it's hard to build something that lasts uh, and it takes time. And it's, it's not very glorious. Uh, building a church, you know, requires labor and sacrifice and prayer. And you've got to have Sunday school teachers and prayer warriors. And, and it, all these people, you know, have these various different ministries and they're all working together. And I look at the list of people in their church and they, they, they're, if, they all had different types of ministries, but they all had some things in common. They were genuinely spiritual. And they were faithful to the end, and they did not quit. And I'm, I'm sure if you could talk to some of those forefathers and former pastors, they, they would tell you that, yeah, there were times they got discouraged. There were times they wanted to quit, uh, but they didn't. And uh, their work still stands today. You know, it's, it's hard to build a congregation, but it's necessary. It takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes spiritually healthy people. But today, we want to think about where the Lord is bringing us as a church, and we want to honor and remember the work of our forefathers, and we want to dedicate ourselves to those examples, and then we want to ask the question, what's next? What kind of church do we need to be? And my hope for you is that you will raise your expectations about the kind of church that God is asking you to be. 
so that you would be raising the level of discipleship and raising the level of holiness and raising the level of the Holy Spirit here in your church. Uh, Our forefathers, you know, they got us this far, but it's up to us to go the rest of the way. Can you pray with me to that end? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing each of us the opportunity and privilege to be a part of a community of faith, to have relationships and friends, to have teachers, folks that have encouraged us and spoken to us and helped us over the years. None of us would be at this, at this place in life if we didn't have the support of people that are sitting around us. We're very grateful. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them and, and uh, give them great, great blessings poured out upon them in their current life, Lord Jesus. We also ask as we look forward to the future, Lord, that you would help us as we seek you, that we would be the church that you need us to be in these coming days. I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.